While Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players in the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the reports of this went through all the district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the prince of demons. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word that through stories, through prayers and poems and letters and uh, visions and history, we learn about your character, your your, uh, almighty power, your holiness, your grace, your kindness, your mercy, your love. And uh, we pray that as we set ourselves, our minds and our hearts to study your word, that uh, you would um, grow in us faith, and that the Jesus that we meet in these pages, uh, we would be drawn to. And uh, so I pray for your spirit to just uh, attend to us now, and Lord, you know uh, all the things that are happening in the lives of those who sit here, and I pray that you administer to each one individually as uh, they need to hear from you. And so we pray for your Holy Spirit um, to uh, guide my words, guide our hearts. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So uh, the topic that we're going to be talking about this morning is the topic of faith. And uh, actually more specifically, we're going to be talking about faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, most of you probably know this, but, you know, the Bible is fairly clear. And actually something that the church has always believed throughout its history is that the only way to be saved, and by saved, what I mean by saved is to have your sins forgiven, to be freed from your sins, to have eternal life uh, with God. The only way to be saved is to have faith in Jesus Christ. And uh, now, I think for many of us, uh, whether you're Christian, whether you're not a Christian, even though you might know that the Bible says that, that Jesus says that, you know, no one comes to me unless, uh, or, or, or no one can come to the Father except through me. Even though we know that Jesus says that, we think that that's kind of an odd thing. There's just this one way to God. And uh, because it seems so incredibly narrow to us, right? Uh, you know, there's just one way. I mean, there's all kinds of diverse people groups of the world and ethnic groups and cultures. And there's just one, there's one way to God. And, you know, I, I know for me, 
before I was a Christian, even after I was a Christian, something that I struggled with was that um, faith in Jesus Christ seems so arbitrary. You know, that if you happen to believe in this one thing, that there was this man 2,000 years ago who was, said he was God and he died on a cross for our sins and he rose the third day, if you happen to believe in that story, then you get eternal life. And it, I didn't see the connection. What's the connection between having this belief and having eternal life with God? And I'm, I think a, a lot of the reason that this is a struggle for us, because, of course, in our culture, we're, you know, we're trained that there are many ways to God, many doors, many paths, and that, you know, essentially, you look at the religions and the diversity of the world, and they superficially, they, uh, they look different. But fundamentally, they're teaching the same thing. And, you know, that's very attractive. That, that seems like such a good solution to the problem of all the diversity of the world. You know, look, superficially on the, on the surface they're different, but fundamentally they're the same. And, and if, if we just accept that, we're going to be more welcoming to people. We're going to have more peace. And it just seems so reasonable. The only problem with that is uh, G.K. Chesterton points this out in his, his uh, famous book, Orthodoxy. The only problem with that is it's just not true. The, the reality is you look at the, the uh, religions of the world and actually superficially on the surface they're not different. They actually look quite the same. You know, a lot of people are doing what we're doing here. Whether they're, you know, they got a church building or a temple that they go to. They gather maybe once a week. They got some pastor or priest or, you know, clergy who opens a holy book and teaches people about it and we close our eyes and we pray and we sing songs. On the surface it all looks pretty similar what all the religions are doing. And, uh, the reality is when you study these books, you know, I know for me when I saw, when you see all the holy books and they're sitting on the shelf and you say, look, everyone's got their book. It's when you read the book and you find out what they're actually saying, that they're saying things that are worlds different apart. So the reality is it's not that the religions of the world are superficially different but fundamentally the same. It's actually just the op opposite. They're superficially very similar. They look the same on the surface, but when you get down to what they fundamentally believe, what they uh, the heart of what they are is something radically different. And the, that central thing for Christians, what is our thing that is, that is unique, that is the defining thing in how you view God, how you view yourself, how you view the world, is faith in Christ. And it's not just some arbitrary belief about a story that happened 2,000 years ago. It is something that profoundly changes how we see everything. And so what we have in this story that I just read is uh, five people who encounter Christ, and they put their faith in him. And their lives are radically transformed. Their lives are, are, are not the same and never will be the same again because they put their faith in Jesus. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to highlight three kind of surprising truths about faith in Christ. What is it about faith in Christ that is so different than the way we normally live our life or the way the world lives their life? Um, what is so unique about it? And uh, these three things are this. That first, that faith is weakness, not strength. Faith is weakness, not strength. That's very different than, you know, most of us were sought to be confident and be competent. But actually, faith is about embracing our weakness. Second, faith is relationship and not religion. And third, faith is receiving and not earning. These three things, I want to kind of draw these out as we go along. So first, faith is weakness, 
and not strength. Okay, and you see this here. Look again at verse 18. This uh, first character we meet in this story, the first man who encounters Jesus. Uh, while Jesus was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Now, when we hear that statement, at least for me, when you first read that, you're like, man, this guy, his daughter just died, and he comes to Jesus, and he actually believes that Jesus can raise his daughter from the dead. And to me, you think, man, that's strong faith. That is, uh, that's incredible. That's powerful that he would really believe that something so amazing could happen. And, um, but I think it would be a mistake um, to see this act of faith as an indication of this man's strength. Because, um, you know, if we look at uh, the other Gospels, uh, the Gospel of Luke actually tells this story and it gives a few more details to it. One of the things he tells us is that uh, the Jairus is this man's name and he was a ruler of the synagogue. So what that means is that Jairus actually, he's a very respected man in the community. Uh, he's a religious leader, you know, maybe a, a pastor, um, someone that people look up to, someone that people go to uh, for wisdom. And so uh, he is a very competent, respected man in his work. And yet what Luke also tells us is that this daughter who's died is his only daughter. He had one daughter and she's 12 years old. Which means in that culture, you know, at 12 years old, you're really beginning to come to the age when you're going to, in the years ahead, you're going to be starting to think about getting married, starting a family, uh, you know, start a family much younger than we do in our culture. And um, so Jairus is having these visions. My only daughter, who I love, is uh, I, she's going to be starting a family. I have grandchildren coming ahead in the future. And then all of a sudden, uh, there is a crisis in his family. And it's in the midst of that family crisis that he comes to Jesus. It's in the midst of his family crisis. Now, I think for men, for many men, their work, their vocation, you know, his job was he was a ruler in the synagogue. Their work is a place where they feel competent. They feel in control. They often feel respected, right? We feel respected. And, and that, 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 it's in the workplace that we feel like we know what we're doing. And actually, that's why many men are drawn to their work. They're drawn to spend a lot of their time on their work because it's a place where they know what they're doing. They feel respected. And it's often in the home and in the family life that men get a sense where they say, you know, I really don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, having uh, relationships with, uh, you know, a wife and children and, uh, and actually they're some of the most, uh, the biggest crises that happen in our life happen in a family setting. And, uh, and oftentimes also many of the things that we're most ashamed of, that we feel the worst about in our life happen in a family setting. And it's in that family setting that, uh, that Jairus comes uh, to realize that um, he is not a competent man, he is a weak man. And he desperately needs Jesus uh, to, to enter in and, and to do what he can't do, and to be for him what he can't be for himself. He needs a savior. And um, I, I think, you know, one of the things, many people view the Christian life as being an upright citizen, strong moral convictions about how we live, you know, put it on a good face, and we're good people. And there's an, a show of strength is how we view the Christian life. But actually, um, the truth is that we cannot have faith in Jesus Christ without an acute sense of how profoundly weak we are. Until we've sensed how weak we are without God in our life, without Christ in our life, uh, 
we, we, we won't understand faith. And, you know, I, I mentioned last week, if you were here, you know, before I became a Christian, I, I was living a pretty destructive life. And uh, the way that God rescued me out of that, actually my parents uh, had me uh, picked up in the middle of the night. I was kidnapped out of my bed. Three people pounced on me and threw me in a car. And, uh, and I was... I, I, this is when I was 16 years old, and I was sent to a, a, a program in Western Samoa, a little island uh, in Western Samoa, for a year and a half. And uh, this program, you know, it's basically survivor meets boot camp meets Dr. Phil. You know, take all those, blend them together, and I, that's where I lived for a year and a half. And, uh, and for me, you know, this program, the way that you go home is you need to change your life. You need to be outgoing. You need to be loving. You need to be a leader. You need to be hardworking. You need to be all these things. And if you are going to be, become these things, then they'll let you go home. And for me, you know, I looked at all these things that they wanted me, and I said, I can't, I'm not those. I'm a depressed punk kid, and I'm not any of those things. And so, you know, when someone first shared the gospel with me, I, I remember I was waking up, we, we slept in, in these huts that were kind of about the size of this sanctuary, and they just have dozens of kids lined up in sleeping bags, just sleeping on the floor in these huts. You know, it's, actually, this place is shut down now. <laughs> but, uh, and uh, <laughs> didn't pass the health code or something. Uh, so, uh, but, you know, I was waking up one morning. They blow a whistle at 6 a.m. I'm rolling up my, my thatched mat that I slept on, you know. And, and I'm just, I don't, I don't even want to go into the day. And so I, I told God, I, I didn't know who God was. And I said, God, I, I don't know who you are but I cannot be the person that they're asking me to be. That's not in me. So I'm just going to go into my day and I'm going to believe that you're going to do something. And it was from a position of weakness. And what I found is that Jesus is drawn to weakness. Weakness compels him. He, um, that's what draws out his affection and his care and, and what faith is, is beginning to realize that my, uh, my weakness is something that attracts Christ and attracts his love. And Jesus certainly did that for me. And that's certainly what's happening with Jairus. Jairus, even though he's a competent man, it's in the midst of his weakness that he comes to understand what faith in Christ is. Okay, so the first thing about faith is that faith is, not, is weakness and not strength. So uh, a Christian life is actually embracing of weakness and it's not putting on a show of... Uh, if I'm a good person, um, and I have strong moral convictions, it's first embracing weakness. But the second thing we see in this passage is that faith is relationship, not religion. Faith is relationship, uh, not religion. Now, you know, it's interesting. So this respected civil leader comes to Jesus and says, my, wa- my daughter's dead, can you come raise her? And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to follow you. And everyone's thinking, oh, wow, Jesus is going to go help this respected man. And then there's this woman who comes up that touches Jesus on the way there. And Jesus actually forgets about the, you know, the girl who's dead and starts giving his attention to this other woman. You know? And you, the, the Jairus, the leader, is probably like, you know, the sooner we could get, I know she's dead, but the sooner we could get there, the better. Uh, you know, she's not getting any better waiting. But Jesus' attention is drawn to this woman. And it's, and it's a fascinating story. Verse 20, follow along with me. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Now, uh, in this 
little episode, this woman comes to Jesus. She has a, a, a 12-year hemorrhage. And uh, most uh, commentators say this is probably a, a menstrual disorder. And actually, in, in her culture, you know, in, in the Old Testament, um, uh, ceremonial laws, the ceremonial laws that said, what, you know, when a woman was in her menstrual cycle, she w- actually had to be isolated from the community. She was considered unclean. And so here's a, a woman who actually has a perpetual uh, you know, discharge. And, and so what that meant was her biggest problem, actually, even though she had a, a fairly significant physical problem, this, um, this hemorrhage was actually more profoundly a social problem because it, she was isolated from people. No one knew her. No one could go near her. No one uh, could spend time with her. And so when she goes to Jesus hoping that she's going to be healed, a big part of that hope is not just that she's going to be healed, but actually that she can be embraced by people, that she can come back into relationship. She has had a, a profound loss of relationship for 12 years of her life. And so she comes up with this idea. She's heard about Jesus. Jesus heals people. He's, you know, he's going around the town, and all these kinds of people are coming to him, and she hears about him, and she says, okay, you know, maybe if I sneak up and I touch his garment, his power will kind of pass out and pass through me, and I'll, and I'll be healed, and no one will know about it. And uh, actually, Luke, again, gives us some details about this story that um, when Jesus was following Jairus, the ruler, to heal his daughter, the crowds were all press, pressing in around him. And everyone's trying to get near him, and there's all this it's very tumultuous. And, uh, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, who touched me? His disciples say, um, everyone's touching you. Uh, what are you talking about? And then Jesus turns around, and he fixes his eyes on this woman who has come up behind him and touch his garment. And, you know, you imagine that everyone sees, oh, there's this unclean woman who has come up to a holy man, a rabbi. I mean, he's kind of the pinnacle of cleanness. And she has, is defiling him, touching him with her uncleanness. And you just imagine everyone spreads out and there's this open area and everyone goes silent and their eyes are upon him and it says that she falls down before Jesus. And everyone's waiting in silence. What is Jesus going to say to this woman? Is he going to say, you know, how dare you touch me? Don't you know I'm a rabbi? Don't you know I'm a a holy man? I'm the Messiah? How dare you? And everyone's waiting for him to pounce on her. And as she's looking at him, this is her only hope in the world. He says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Which, you know, in this little scene, Jairus has a 12-year-old daughter. Here's a woman with a 12-year-old hemorrhage. He says, just as Jairus is aching for his daughter who's dead, I ache for you. In this public moment of, of acknowledging and loving and embracing her in, the, in, the, in front of her whole community. Powerful act of love and relationship, deeply personal. And uh, faith for this woman is something far deeper, far more personal than a vague belief in God and you know, practicing spiritual disciplines. It's something far more than just going through the exercises and the rituals of a religion. She has been loved by Christ himself. She's been loved by him. She's been embraced. And uh, what religion is, the way we see religion, religion is a very um, controlled, measured, calculated thing where we come into a community and uh, there are certain expectations and um, we're basically putting on a show for God and for other people or a performance that we're good people. But it's a way that we really remain in control of our spiritual life. But um, religion is incredibly superficial. 
There is nothing of that calculated religion in this story. Nothing. This story just breathes with vulnerability, intimacy, risk, messiness. And in the midst of that, the profound love of Christ. And she actually knew Christ. And this is actually what faith is about. So when we talk about you know, the uniqueness of faith, what, what Christians say, you need to have faith in Jesus, it's not that you just happen to believe in something that happened 2,000 years ago. It is that you have been defined by this love that this woman is experiencing, that I am beginning to see myself in the story. There's a book I read uh, this last year by a woman named uh, Rosaria Butterfield and, uh, she, uh, called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. And uh, Rosaria Butterfield was a, the head of the women's studies department at Syracuse University. She was a, um, uh, you know, a liberal activist, feminist, lesbian woman who um, was writing a, uh, uh, some kind of paper on the religious right. And she was doing research on uh, the religious right, and actually in the course of her research, she actually ended up becoming a Christian, and uh, she tells the story of, of how this happened. And one of the things that happened was that there was a local pastor who had written a letter to her about you know, an editorial she had put in the newspaper, and she had these two piles of where she would put these letters that she got from people. One was you know, fan mail and hate mail. She, you know, she always had these controversial editorials, and so she, uh, she would say, this letter, fan mail, hate mail, fan mail, hate mail. And then she got this letter from this pastor, and she didn't know which pile to put it in. And it was just mostly a letter full of questions, just asking her. And it took her a week. to She couldn't throw the letter away. And so finally she said, called this pastor and said, okay, I'm, I'm willing to meet with you to talk to you about this letter. So the pastor says, why don't you come over for dinner? He's this old, uh, you know, reformed Presbyterian pastor, and, you know, these two different worlds coming together. And she comes in uh, and has dinner with him. And I, I put, if you, if you turn to page three in your bulletin, I, I put a little quote uh, as she describes um, an important part of that meal. This is what she says. The most memorable part of this meal was Ken's prayer before the meal. I never heard anyone pray to God as if God cared, as if God listened, and as if God answered. It was not a pretentious prayer uttered for the heathen at the table to overhear. It was a private and honest utterance, and I felt as though I were treading on something real, something sincere, something important, and something transparent, but illegible to me. Ken made himself vulnerable to me in his prayer by humbling himself before his God, this God of his, and I took note of that. The thing that was so shocking to her was that this man actually knew God. He clearly had a relationship. He knew what God was like, and he sensed that God knew him, and God listened to the words that he was saying. So the big question of faith of what we're being called into in faith in Christ is, uh, is not, again, it's not just some belief about something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's a deeply personal, relational thing, and it's a question to each one of us. Do you know God? Do you know him? And, uh, you know, for many of us, I know when you hear that, you say, listen, I've heard that before. I've heard that I'm supposed to have a relationship with God or with Jesus how do you do that? I mean, God's invisible. And, you know, I understand having a relationship with a person and they're, they're right there and I'm talking to them. But what about, how do you have a relationship with God? But you just ask, what's it like to have a relationship with a person? 
You know, when does a friendship build with a person? For many people, it's when you open your life or your heart to someone and you really find out that they're actually listening to you. You know, you go and you have coffee and they ask you about your life and they actually listen to you. And you say, you know, that person took me seriously. They cared about my life. They cared about what I have to say. You make requests of God, you know, that to go to him and to, to be comforted by him and to know him. This is ultimately the question of faith, is what God is leading us into, what eternal life is, Jesus says, is to know God. And so faith is far more personal than just some arbitrary belief. Um, Jesus is how God has revealed himself to us. And so um, what eternal life is, what being saved is, is coming to know God through Christ, okay? So two things we've seen so far. That first, faith is weakness, not strength. Second, faith is relationship, not religion. But the third, and maybe, uh, maybe the most important, I think, is that faith is about receiving and not earning. This is the, really the heart of what faith is. Faith is about receiving and not earning. And, you know, I just have to say that one of, this is an error that a lot of Christians make, and, and you may have experienced this in churches, is that Christians uh, will, uh, you know, hear a passage like this where Jesus says to this woman, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And we say, okay, well, what Jesus wants me to do is to stir up as much faith as I can. And if I really believe hard enough, I'll get the things that I want in my life. And if I really believe, I can tell God this is what I want. If I believe hard enough, then he'll give it to me. And so essentially what we're doing is we're turning faith into a work. It's something that we work really hard for. And if we do it well enough, then God will reward us. But that kind of faith is me still staying in control of my life. And in any kind of relationship, relationship is never an experience of control, right? It, I'm staying in control. When I tell God, these are the things I want, and if I believe hard enough, he'll give it to me. Faith is something uh, totally, biblical faith is, is something totally different. And I love this last little uh, episode in this, in this story. Uh, verse 32, it says, And they were going away. As they were going away, behold, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. So here's a demon-possessed man who's mute. He can't even, you know, this isn't, you know, in terms of, our, our, is faith about stirring up something that we can offer to God, and if, if we have enough faith, then he'll give it to us? Look at this demon-possessed. He's demon-possessed, and he can't even talk. I mean, he can't even make the request to Jesus, hey, can you heal me? You know, at least Jairus could go and say, hey, can you heal my daughter? This guy can't even talk. He has absolutely nothing to offer. He is coming completely empty-handed. And, um, but he's there. He believes that Jesus will be willing to work. He believes that Jesus is good and that Jesus is powerful. And um, this is a really important thing, uh, a distinction to make about faith. The power of faith is not in the object, but in, or is not in the subject, but in the object. Okay, let me, let me say that again. The the power of faith is not in the object. The object of faith. If I believe in Jesus, I'm the object. Or sorry, subject. I'm getting this. I, I'm gonna make this. I'm just completely confused. Everything. Let me say what this is. Okay. The point is that the power is not in me. It's in Jesus. That's what the point is. Um, and and I. Uh, you know, this was a big thing for me as a pastor, a realization I had um, in my personal prayer life. 
One of the most important things for me to realize when I would um, come and pray to God was simply that there was someone there who really took my word seriously. And, you know, Jesus says that about prayer in another place. You know, don't think that because of your many words, you're going to be heard. God actually receives very simple prayers from us, or simple requests, as long as we come and we believe he is who he said he was, that he's good, that he's caring, that he does listen to us. And if we come to him in Christ, he really does want to know what our burdens are, what our anxieties are. He wants us to tell them to him. And so the power is not in us stirring up faith, but the power is in him and believing that he is powerful and that he can do things and he does care for us. And so this is ultimately the difference uh, between Christianity and any other religion. Because any other religion, whether it's, uh, it's about using, a religion that's about using spiritual disciplines to come to a higher level, of, you know, a higher spiritual plane or to become enlightened, or whether it's uh, doing uh, you know, a moral law so that God will love me and God will approve of me, all of these things, the vast majority of religious experiences are about my effort. It's about me earning a, a greater spiritual life or earning eternal life. But what the gospel is about is that God has come to us freely in Christ and embraced us freely. And so faith is receiving the gift. Faith is about receiving, not earning. And uh, now, what that means is why is faith the thing that God says, this is the thing I'm looking for in humans. The one thing I'm looking for is humans. is because it's in faith that we humble ourselves before God. God says, I will not have you in your pride. I will only have you in humility. It's the one thing that he demands. And so the question for us is a question of, uh, when work, God calls us to believe in him, is to humble ourselves and to ask the question, where are we in this story? Here's a man who's falling down who says, my competence, my, my respect, my know-how is not enough for me to manage my family life. Here's a woman who's totally alone and says, Jesus, I need you to look onto me and to embrace me. Here's a demon-possessed mute man that, you know, I don't, I don't see any demon-possessed mute men in here, but, uh, but that, that fact that who comes empty-handed to Jesus and, and, and Jesus uh, brings his power into his life, this is what faith is about is about receiving and humbling ourselves and saying, I don't come in strength, I come in weakness. I don't come with religion, I come for relationship. Um, and I don't come to earn your approval, I come to receive your free grace. And so Jesus' call to us is to believe. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you that you call us uh, not, uh, not to, to prove ourselves to you, but that you know the profound weakness that is in us and that you speak to us words of love and acceptance. Would we come to know that when we pray to you, you indeed are listening, that you do care for us. And I, I pray for those who are here who struggle to know you. I pray that uh, your spirit would guide them to uh, speak their uh, anxieties, their concerns to you and find that you are indeed a loving God and that you take their words seriously and you take them seriously. And, uh, and through Christ, uh, may they find uh, life and life eternal. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.